Turn around and say hello to someone and then please be seated. Well, I want to thank you and commend you for the good giving and praise the Lord for what has come in today on this first Sunday, though a holiday Sunday. But thank God for those that have given to uh, increase the amount in our fund for project number nine. I trust that you'll help us out. Give some of God's money if you have it. And uh, let's help put the roof on that building of that soul winning church down in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And uh, there are other churches across the country who are following our example. We've lit a fire under several states already. And uh, hopefully uh, all the projects will be done on all the buildings in their complex. And hopefully uh, that church will grow and prosper. And someday in eternity, there'll be those that'll be thanking you for your part. Thank you so much for giving. And... Um, let me remind you also that uh, this is a time for our transition. We're going to be moving into transitional ministries in the days ahead. I haven't placed any precise dates on it yet, but as we are being very cautious and hopefully wise following the Lord's guidance and direction, listening to our legal advisors, we have three of them, legal advisors advising us regarding what might be coming or what might be happening on the horizon. We're going to try to uh, get a number of our ministries up and running that have not been able to function due to lack of participation or leadership or funds or uh, the green light from our legal department. We have kept up the main thing. We've been preaching from the beginning. We've been teaching. We've been soul winning. And we won't quit. We won't close our doors. But we do need some help. On Saturdays from 10 until noon, we need as good a crowd as can come out to help clean and open up as many of our uh, rooms, our facilities as we possibly can. We got a good start on it this past Saturday, and yet I want you to come out this week and help us. And over the course of the next two months, let's open it all up. Amen? Amen. Thank you so very much. Well, if you had an opportunity to do as we sing from time to time. Uh, be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. If we had a chance to be like Jesus, what about Him would you like to emulate the most? I've asked people this over the years, and I've gotten a variety of answers. And kids, especially those that are into superheroes, would kind of like to have superpowers, be able to work miracles, you know, uh, fly uh, faster than a speeding train, a speeding bullet or whatever, and uh, leap tall buildings in a single bound. And uh, if you had the powers and the authority of Jesus Christ, that would be amazing. But then I've heard from uh, mature believers things like this. I would like uh, to have the purity of our Savior, who was sinless, of course. If you could be like Jesus, what would you want? Would you like to have the uh, the glitz and the glamour and the power and the, and the miracles? Or would you like to have the inner purity? Someone else has said, I would like to be able to more perfectly, that's the key, pursue the will of God without faltering. And people who are saved and have been saved any length of time know what I'm talking about. We start down a path and uh, we stumble. But if we were like Jesus, we would be able to follow perfectly, wouldn't we? Pleasing the Father. Now those are all good things. Those are wonderful. But I think there is something even greater than that that we are going to see 
in our scriptures tonight. I'm just going to give you a, a few scriptures and then we'll come back and look at the context. But if you would, go with me to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. And in verses 5 and 6, John R. Rice's favorite verses, the verses that he signed in my Bibles and in his books that I purchased. All right, Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, They that sow in, what does it say? Tears shall reap in joy. He that go forth in what? Weepeth. Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Jesus Christ, of course, is the greatest example of those virtues that the Bible extols. And here we have those tears and that weeping that results in rejoicing. This is certainly uh, an encouragement to all of us. But if I would be like Jesus, I need to have the heart of Jesus Christ. We can go to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, and we can see this again. We see it in verses 1 and 2 and 3. I say the truth in Christ, Paul says, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen, according to the flesh who are Israelites. And then he goes on to talk about the things that they were entrusted with, the symbols of the Old Testament. Turn with me also back to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Beginning at verse 41, Luke chapter 19, the beloved physician gives us this account. And when he was come near, that's Jesus, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. And of course, we're going to go on and comment on the context of each of these passages, but you see what I'm building as a case. If we could be like Jesus all day long in the home and in the throng, uh, it wouldn't be to leap tall buildings in a single bound or speed faster than a bullet or, or uh, more powerful than a locomotive. It wouldn't be uh, simply to have that power, that authority, or even the purity or pleasing the Father as Jesus always did, but it would be to have the great heart of Jesus Christ. The great heart of Jesus Christ. You know, when that Roman soldier took that spear, that lance, and pierced under the rib cage of Jesus Christ, out came what? Blood and water. Blood and water. And great physicians that I've read after have indicated that that was physical evidence that Jesus, who dismissed his spirit, died with a broken heart. He had a broken heart for you and for me. He had a heavy, sorrowful heart. And everyone who has come after him, that the world will look upon and say, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl is like Jesus, will also have a heavy heart of compassion, a great heart. Let's pray. Father, fill me now with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll help me to convey the truth of what we're preaching tonight to folks who will be listening in Jesus' name. Amen. We need some folks here at Central Baptist Church. We need some folks out here who are viewing 
uh, our live stream broadcast. We need people who name the name of Jesus Christ to weep over America like Jesus wept over Jerusalem, like Paul wept over the Israelites, like the psalmist wept over lost souls. That's what we need, to care enough to weep. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, and in chapter number 9, verses 36 through 38, it says, But when he, that's Jesus Christ, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now, I, I agree that probably sheep are a special case, but we have a picturesque description here. Sheep without a shepherd would not survive long in the wild. Why, the wild animals, the animals of prey, would have lunch, dinner, breakfast, and brunch on the sheep. The sheep need the shepherd for protection. The sheep need the shepherd for provision. They, they need the shepherd who will protect them and will show them where, where they can find pasture and, and will guide them and help them and keep them and from their worst enemy, self-destruction. Those sheep need the guidance of a shepherd. People today need a shepherd. We often think about people that you don't understand why they do what they do. Uh, because they had so much going for them. You, you, would, you would say that. They, they're intelligent people. Uh, they are um, uh, educated. Uh, they seem to be uh, together in many ways, but unfortunately, they're very self-destructive. That is, I think, uh, the problem with so many people today. They, they apparently need a shepherd. They need a keeper. It says in verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The solution that Jesus Christ gives then for this vast number, this multitude, who are in need of uh, provision and protection is what? To pray. Put it down. To pray. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray. Now this morning and tonight, I have challenged our people to get on board, to come on back, to be in the services, to, to get back in. Don't, don't uh, get used to uh, non-activity, but get involved and be committed and serve the Lord. And, and uh, let's begin again. I, I spoke in our men's prayer meeting this morning about... Uh, the, the reality of perception. When we start back into doing what we should be doing, which is part of the regular routine of serving the Lord, it will seem to be busy because we haven't been. It will seem to be oppressive because we haven't been doing what we've done previously. And so I have to be a wise master builder and a good, kind under-shepherd under Jesus Christ. So many are ill-fitted for leadership who just want to beat the sheep and just want to beat the people in, into obedience and submission, but that's not the way. The way is by way of the heart. 
When we have the right heart, then we serve. When we have the right heart, then we encourage others to serve from the what? The heart. The pastor who stands in the pulpit or the ministry leader who just berates the people and guilts them to death will never be a success and people will never consistently serve because they've been balled out. People will serve because they fall in love with Jesus over and over again. Come on. Amen. That's it. That's what you need out there. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Amen. I'm telling the truth tonight. I'm telling it like it is. And uh, I don't want you to do what you do for God because I ask you. I want you to do it for God because after I ask you, you realize that's something you're doing from the heart. Separation. Separation is so needed now. We don't just need a, a lot of people serving because uh, they've, been, uh, they've been implored to be a worker. Remember, before we're workers, we need to be worshipers. We need to be on that footing with the Lord, on the same page. We need to be worshipers first, all of you out there. Now, you say, I, I want to serve. I want to commit to serve. Is thy heart right with God? Are you right with the Lord? I'm not judging you. We must judge ourselves lest we be judged. And so let's judge ourselves before the Lord. Let's say to the Holy Spirit, Search me, O God, and know my heart today and see if there be any wicked way in me. Let's get our hearts right with God. For a person to be separated from sin and unto Christ as a true Bible separatist ought to be, we must do this from the heart. I learned this from so many people. Learned it from my dad. Never was a more loving pastor than my father. And I learned it from Brother Hancock. And he said, you can't force people. You can have them sign pieces of paper, but that doesn't mean they'll follow it when they're around the corner someplace. He was absolutely right. Separation starts in the heart. It's not by beating people over the head it's not by forcing people. It's not by threatening people. It's not by guilting people. It's by helping them to fall in love with Jesus over and over again. You say, I need a, a large dose of that. I need to fall in Jesus, in love with Jesus over and over again. Yes, we do. We need to fall in love with Jesus. We need some Central Baptist Church folks and others to weep, to weep from the heart. Not big, phony, crocodile tears. Not simple emotion, but something more than that. To weep over some specifics that we're going to talk about tonight. If we go back to the psalm that we began with, Psalm 126. The context is a captivity. A captivity. And there are many types of captivity. In their case, Israel had experienced physical Captivity. Why? The result of their continuous straying from God and their idolatry, their disobedience, resulted in their being carried, being carried off into captivity. You know the story, all the major and minor prophets and what happened and how they finally came back and they had to rebuild and it was a shadow of what they had before the glory under David and Solomon was never fully realized again. But that, this was a physical captivity. There are many kinds of captivity. There are those today who are lost, and they are captives, taken captive by the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, their own sinfulness. They've never been saved. 
Uh, there is no reprieve. There is no hope for them. They're on their way to a Christless hell where they will burn forever. They're in misery now, but they'll be in greater misery for all eternity. And we must rescue them while we can. We must snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. You and I have a wonderful privilege, but a responsibility. Uh, we need to do as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. We need to persuade men and women and boys and girls. We need to persuade them all over again. Somebody tonight says, uh, okay, I'm going to go on visitation. I'm going to go on soul winning and persuade folks. Amen. Somebody says, I'm going to start up the bus route. I'm going to start up the van. And I'm going to persuade men and women and boys and girls. And praise the Lord. The church is not here simply to stand on a piece of ground and take up an address and, uh, and just be uh, a place where just a few people uh, kind of roll around in a great big space like marbles in a shoebox. But rather, this is a place that should be busting out the walls with enthusiasm and the fire of the Holy Ghost and people being excited all the time about their family, friends, and loved ones that are coming to Christ. We need to see that again. You say, oh, that's the heyday. That's the golden age. And you, you'll name a time in the past. But he can turn the captivity. Read with me verse 1. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Because people don't fully believe in their own confidence in, them, in themselves that it's going to ever happen again. We've seen all the greatness we're ever going to see. We've seen all the power of God that we're ever going to see. I'm telling you right now, God can do it again. And He can do it on this address. He knows our address. He knows our hearts. But it all comes back to what's going on right there. I'm talking about 18 inches below our head. I'm talking about what's right here, the solar plexus. I'm talking about the heart. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. I long for the day. Not because I just want to show, quote, them, whoever them are, making air quotes, them. I don't know who them are. That's bad English, but that's, I don't know the identity of them. I'm not sure, but I know this. There is coming a time when folks will walk down this aisle like they did in days gone by. There'll come a time when people are professing and getting baptized and joining the church and getting discipled and getting trained and going out and, and com completing the cycle and winning more souls who walk down this aisle who get who profess Christ and get baptized and get discipled and get trained and so forth and so on. I, I know that's going to happen again. If, here's the condition, if our hearts are right. And it doesn't take a huge number. Evangelism and revival can go hand in hand. A few people can get revived and as a result of being right with God, start winning souls. And after a while, other pe people will catch fire. And that's what we want. I want something that is absolutely communicable, and I'm not talking about COVID. I want to catch your enthusiasm. I want you to catch my enthusiasm. I want us to edify each other. I want us to fire each other up, because even a few people can make a difference. The great revival that began in Wales back at the turn of the 20th century began with Evan, Robert, Evan Roberts and about eight men praying. 
One night they began to pray and they were just overwhelmed by a sense of need. And Evan Roberts started praying, Lord, bend me, bend me, bend, make me pliable, make me pliable. Because you see, when you're hard-hearted and stiff-necked and God can't do anything with you because it's always been a case of, of filling out your requirements and then expecting God because He's a good God to sign off on that. Instead, we need to sign off and give a blank list to God and let Him put down what He wants to do through us. And Evan Roberts was praying that way. Lord, bend me. Make me pliable. Make me pliable. And the power of the Holy Spirit and of revival fell on that group. And revival spread through all of Wales and spread beyond the borders of Wales. And at various times in modern history, there have been pockets of revival that were very intense because somebody, some small group of individuals, some small little uh, otherwise uh, not very noticeable group decided to let God do something. I believe God wants to do this again. And we need to let Him have us lock, stock, and barrel and give Him what? Our heart. Our heart. Not our overflowing energy or our talent or our ability or our personality. That stuff you can take and it's just going to burn at the judgment seat of Jesus. You know what's going to last? The right heart. The right heart. That which has been done with the right motive, with the proper attitude and right heart. The Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity. There's somebody in addiction right now. Somebody who is oppressed. Somebody who is a slave to their own sinfulness. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Something that's free-flowing and something that's refreshing and something that meets the need. And then, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Do you see that in this one psalm, in the context of it, we've got a case of freedom from captivity, which is revival, getting right with God, and the winning of lost souls, soul-winning fervor, all in one context. It all goes together. It's possible for the preacher to get up, and the preacher should not be monotonous. The preacher should always be on fire. The preacher should always be enthusiastic and taken with, first of all, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible and then the Word of God itself, igniting the, the pastor himself or the preacher himself, and it should work through the preacher. Otherwise, you just take a, a, take a CD player and you put it up here in Alexander Scorby reading Scripture. That Now, he's very, very dramatic and very precise, but Alexander Scorby is not a preacher. Alexander Scorby, praise the Lord, is a Bible reader, and he helps us with our Bible reading. But there is a difference between Bible reading and Bible preaching. That exhortation, I mean that, that dramatic, emphatic uh, uh, exhortation is necessary for God's people to be up and be doing what God wants us to be and to do. We need to get right with God. We need to go soul winning. We need to be on fire. And when you, you start to cool off, then get back and read it again. Do it again. Do it again. Visit us again, Lord. Visit us again. Bend me, Lord. Make me pliable. Make me what you want me to be. We saw in Romans chapter 9, where Paul says, I say the truth in Christ. And that phrase, in Christ, is used by Paul 
not only in the book of Romans, but also in his epistles, the other epistles, uh, that, that characteristic of being in Christ, that relationship, the truth in Christ. When Paul wrote by inspiration and he spoke the truth in Christ, this helps us to understand that it's not just Paul, but this is the very heart of Jesus Christ in Paul. You can have the heart of Jesus Christ right here in your heart. You can be one with Christ. It can beat as one. And that's what's going on. I, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. This is absolutely 100% genuine. My conscience, let's talk about that for a second. The conscience can become seared. We read that. It's going to be one of the characteristics of people in the last days. I've dealt with some folks that have seared consciences. That takes them back to prison again and again and again. Excuse me, I'm sorry. That takes them back into sin again and again and again. It's because of the weakness of their flesh, the lack of dependence upon God, the failure to go to God for help, instead depending upon failed equipment, dysfunctional equipment. I'm talking about a conscience that doesn't work right. He's saying, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. There was nothing phony about this. He's being driven, motivated. His heart that's beating is the heart that beats with the heart of Christ. His conscience bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. That is the third person of the Trinity. He is being driven and motivated in such a manner. It's not mere emotion. You cannot compare yourself. I cannot compare myself to what Paul is saying if it's just all of the flesh. The witness of the flesh will fail. If we try to do religious things from the religious side of our flesh, it will fail. And the end result will be worse than the beginning. We will not be able to repair the damage that is done if we try to do the work of God in the witness of the flesh. We must be motivated by, driven by the Holy Spirit. We must have the heart of Jesus Christ. And he says, because of that, just like Jesus wept, that I have great heaviness and continual, continual sorrow in my heart. Do we have the heart of Jesus Christ beating with our heart? Do we have that heart sorrow? Why would there be a heart of sorrow? The heart of sorrow is that they're not all saved yet. They're not all lined up with God's plan. For I wish, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He is so sincere, he would be willing, were it possible, to go over to the precipice of hell and trade places with those that are lost and condemned. When we get to that point, that we are weeping over America. We are weeping over lost sinners. We are weeping over backslidden Christians. We are weeping over undedicated, cold, lackadaisical Christians. Then we've come to that place where we begin to understand what the Scripture means on a personal level. Those Israelites burdened the Apostle Paul. And they burdened Jesus Christ back in Luke 19 as he beheld the city. Continuing in that passage, Luke chapter 19, For the days shall come upon thee. Now these words that he is speaking here in Luke's gospel did come to pass about 30, 40 years later when 
Jerusalem was leveled. Josephus, who wrote sometime later in that era, Josephus writes very graphically of the terrible things. That it was a huge fight between the Romans and the Jews. And they were fighting for their homeland and for their lives and for their families. But the Romans, just uh, you talk about nail-hard, cutthroat soldiers, perhaps on a, on a man-per-man basis, one of the greatest fighting forces ever on the planet. Uh, and God permitted it. God permitted it to come in and like a, like a tidal wave and, and take down the temple, leave no stone upon another, just destroyed. And they say for miles the Jews were crucified, that, that there were places in the Holy Land where no trees were growing because they chopped down everyone to build a cross to crucify a Jew. I'm talking about horrible, horrific things done to the Jews of that day, the generation following Jesus Christ. The days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You didn't know when it was going to happen but you knew that it would. Here we see the sad consequences that will inevitably fall when we do nothing. Why do we weep over America? Because of America's sin. Be convinced tonight that what's going on in this country is sin. Don't even mention the word Olympics to me. Don't even talk to me about cancel culture. Don't talk to me about critical race theory. Don't talk to me about socialism. This is the death knell of our nation. We are hearing the, the, the very beginnings of the destruction of our nation. And not one stone will be left upon another if we succumb to this foolishness. Sad consequences because of sin. When we do nothing. We should weep over sin. We should weep over souls. We should weep over severe judgment. Which is inevitable. It will come. Now some of that's going to come. In and during the tribulation. And will be gone. Praise God. But there is nothing which keeps us from that happening. Or beginning to happen. Prior to the rapture. Any one of us. Could be subject to these things. That could be happening in days ahead. What do we need to do? Here's what you and I need to do. Make a list. Number one, we need to weep. Say, so how do you weep? First of all, you look out, you look over, you see what's not being done and what is being done. And when you, when you add up the accounts, there's such a deficit, such a spiritual deficit in America, it makes you weep. We get mad... And we talk about it and we gripe about it. You say, oh man, I tell you what they're doing in Washington or down in Richmond. Uh, it's a freak show or a clown show. And while that may be true to a certain degree, how about let's weep over what's going on there. Let's weep about the sin. 
The sin not only among those who are lost, but among those who claim to be Christians, among the churches. Let's weep over all the dark buildings that call themselves houses of worship on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. They're not even operating. They don't even know what the word Sunday school means anymore. And if you held up the Bible and read it, they wouldn't know what they were hearing. Let us weep over the state of so-called religion in America. Let us weep over the sin of commission and sin of omission. Let us weep over souls, the people that you do talk to that are trying to do something right. Many of them have absolutely no direction. They don't have any idea that there's nothing that we can do that will save us, that we have to depend on the Lord, we have to call upon Him. They've never been told that. Not one time. They've been to all kinds of productions with, I mean, you got people up on a platform and it looks, it looks like a nightclub and they've got all of the, all of the extra accoutrements of, of, of a show and they're putting on a show and then somebody gets up and he talks for five minutes or ten minutes or even twenty minutes but never ever talks about sin and hell and judgment and the blood of Jesus Christ and the empty cross and the empty tomb. They never hear about personally calling upon the name of the Lord. We are in an awful mess in America because we've got places of worship where Jesus Christ would not be welcome. We need to weep over sin. We need to weep over souls. We need to weep over severe judgment. We need to weep over America. Number two, we need to sound a warning. Not just this preacher, but every one of us. Instead of just griping, instead of just passing along the junk that's going on, I don't even like to think about the junk. Let's warn of judgment to come. That's the job of the Holy Spirit through the believers today. Number three, let us work. Now, I believe in praying as we've already seen. We need to pray as though God is going to do it all and He is over it all. Don't get me wrong. But we need to work as if we have to do everything. We need to work with that kind of effort. We need to put ourselves into it. Uh, and, and at the end of each day, we need to look back on that day and say, this is what I have specifically done today by the grace of God and for His glory to, to try to stop all of the spiritual declension and decay in the United States of America. Let's weep over it. Let's warn people. Let's work. And then by all means, we have never stopped, nor will we ever stop trying to win some. Wherever you go. Now everybody here likes to eat. I can tell, even if I didn't look, if I were preaching to you as a blind preacher with a blindfold on, or not looking out at this crowd, I would tell you you like to eat. You want to know why? Because you're Baptists. And if you're, if you're good Baptists, you enjoy your good food. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you go out to eat, make it a soul-winning endeavor. Try to win somebody to Jesus. There's somebody, when you walk in, from the receptionist who seats you, hands you your menus, to the person who fills your water glass, the person who takes your order, the person you see on the way. Try to win somebody to Jesus. Try to be a witness 
if you possibly can. On the street, wherever you are, in the store, anywhere you go, let's do this. Let's ratchet it up <coughs> times 10. I'm telling you, we need to do it times 10. You know why? Because while we've been going through these last year and a half of circumstances, there have been hundreds of churches and hundreds of pastors who are no longer in business. We need, we need to ratchet it up times 10. So when you're discipling, disciple them, teach them everything, all the wonderful doctrinal truths of the Word of God, but then say, it doesn't do any good to know these things if you don't do something with them. Take the truth and set somebody free. Show somebody Jesus Christ by your life, your attitude, your example. Life is not one big joke. Life is serious business. We can laugh, we can smile, we can be pleasant, but it's not a joking matter. Heaven and hell are realities. And we have this stewardship. Weep over America. Warn them of judgment to come. Work like there's no tomorrow. And win some to Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And as I pray, I'm going to ask you right now, before we pray, did the Lord speak to your heart? Did He speak to you tonight as He spoke to my heart? I'm slipping my hand up. How about you? Did He speak to your heart? What will we do about it? Will you pray? Will you go? Will you give? Will you do what you can? In just a moment, we'll extend the invitation if you've never met Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, then pray right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my own personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up, anyone at all?